community really does keep me going because at this point, this race is not about me. This race is about a movement and I don't even have the keys to it anymore. Like I'm just the candidate, but it's the movement that is making this campaign successful. Welcome to A Modern Visionary, conversations with leaders that give a damn. I'm your host, Tiffany Lanier. Here, our goal is to inspire, educate, and have a few uncomfortable conversations about what it really takes to be a leader in this day and age. We know that consciousness, empathy, living and leading with integrity, and justice first is the only way to bridge the gap between where we are now and where we want to be. Each episode, we'll talk to visionary leaders, entrepreneurs, politicians, and all-around changemakers who are doing the work and paving the way for the new paradigm of leadership and the way that we want to run things. So sit back, relax, take note. It's time to be a modern visionary. Hello, visionaries. It's Tiffany Lanier, and welcome to another episode of A Modern Visionary. Today, I am thrilled and excited to have our first politician on the podcast. I'm speaking to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's a millennial Latina running for U.S. Congress in New York District 14, and she's going up against a two-decade high-profiled congressman. I recently learned about Alexandria on Twitter. There was one tweet in particular that really took the Twitterverse by storm, and it made her a recognizable voice for progress. And it showed us that she is not going to be backing down from issues that she finds important and that she stands behind. And this is something that I love about her because she is always willing to speak up and speak her mind. So we dive into what that viral tweet was all about later in the episode. And if you've ever wondered What's it like to be an everyday citizen who just decides to run for office and has a drive for change? You are going to enjoy this conversation. So let's dive in as I pick Alexandria's brain on what irks her about politics today, why she decided that this was her time to run for office, and what were some of the biggest challenges and aha moments that she received from being in this race? Let's jump into it. So my first question for you is you are, you know, you're in the thick of your campaign and you're currently challenging a lot of issues with new headlines that, you know, headlines that come out every single day in the news that make you want to shake your head. What's your number one, like what the F is happening moment <laughs> that you can describe right now? Like what is going on? My number one last like flabbergasted, like, oh my God. Yes. Kind of thing. What, what, what is happening? Oh man. <laughs> there's so, there's so many aspects. I mean, what I will say, like, I'll, I'll preface this by saying that I actually feel like I experienced that a little bit less than a lot of people just because right now the political moment that we're in with the Trump administration is so ridiculous and so outrageous. It's just, it is easy to feel that every single day. Um, and so I kind of, I, I tune out, like, I feel like I tune like 90% of the news coming out about Trump. Like I, unless it's something that 
like the GOP tax bill or like unless it's a policy change that has real ramifications, I just try to, you know, tune it out and let journalists do their job where necessary. Um, so I feel like I, I kind of, I roll, I roll my eyes a lot <laughs> with some of the stuff that's coming in the news, but um, I mean, man, one specific one, it's so hard to choose. I like, yeah, it's like such a, it's such a hard question. I, I think um, maybe something, man, I, I think every day as, as, we start to learn more and more about the financial dealings coming out of the White House. I think that for me is just like, what? Like, we knew this was going to happen, but it's like, oh my God. Like, there was news that was, that uh, just kind of came out that Jared Kushner just got, he, he hosted a bunch of meetings at the White House and then got a lot of personal loans from the people that he held meetings to. And it's just like, man, like this stuff is amateur hour right now. Like, this is, crazy but um it's a reality show that's probably (laughs) yeah exactly yeah or like omarosa like can we just talk about who's in the white house right now like we just had omarosa leave and we had basically she's like a scene she was like a senior communications advisor a reality tv show president as reality tv stars as their uh you know communications directors and strategic uh, assistance and then like the whole Hope Hicks thing it's like she was a former model and you know worked for the family it's like it's crazy I mean it's, it's just nuts so basically all of the last year and a half or so has been a major like what the hell is going on moment <laughs> yeah so it's how, it's how I, I think like yeah, and I feel like 90% of it, I mean, no matter how you feel about the president, I think 90% of the country is just like, what is going on? Like, what is happening? I, I can agree with that. Um, so you don't come from a political background, and you're a woman and a woman of color. What made you say, it's, it's my time, it's time now, and I'm going to run for Congress and I'm going to run in a district that's up against a two-decade congressman. Well, I think part of it was I came, the moment that I was asked to run, which I was actually asked, and what's, uh, that is something that happens to to a lot of women. It's very common for women to not want to run. Uh, women are, often need to be asked to run like very aggressively and that, that was the case with me um i was i was asked to run i was nominated to run uh, but I, what made me say yes was i um had kind of found myself at the culmination of a lot of activism and community organizing and educational work that um found me basically like fast forward at Standing Rock last year and I was with the Lakota Sioux um, listening to their advocacy and their fight for the environment against these pipelines that are that are kind of being put through the country and the day after I got back from Standing Rock I got this phone call saying you know would you consider running for Congress and I think after everything that we have gone through particularly as women as women of color is that like 
no one's ever going to give you permission. No one is ever going to say, like, you are going to do this, and no one's going to set it up for us. Unless you make certain decisions that really compromise what you're about, 99% of the time, no one's going to gonna do that for us. And so, you know what? Like, it's just time to crash the party. There's enough of us. We're good enough. We, we mobilize. We're the kind of the, the bedrock of our families and our communities, and we deserve to lead. And it's hard to kind of take up that space, but I think that that's what we're challenged to do right now. That's what we're charged to do right now for our kids, for future generations. We just kind of got to be rude. I think we got we got to be okay being called an outsider. We got to be okay being called an interloper. Being you know we got to we got to be okay just saying you know what. She didn't ask permission. She didn't pay her dues. We need to be okay at doing that because this system was not built for us in mind. And to a certain extent, we're always going to be a little bit of an interloper. And we just need to kind of accept that and own that, support each other, um, and use each other as a support network in that process. Because I think it was just kind of that process where it's like, you know what? Like, no one's ever going to think I'm acceptable for this. Like, no one's ever going to give me permission to do it. So, I'm just going to give myself the permission. I'm just going to do it. And I think that um, that's just kind of what we should all do, really. I love that. No one else is going to give us the permission. So I'm just going to give myself permission. And I think that's reflective in so many areas, not just politics, of saying, I'm just ready to do this. And I'm going to start with me. And maybe I might be the first in my family or amongst my friends or people that I know, and I'm just going to pave the way. And that's what you're doing right now. And, and that's really, really exciting. So thank you for showing up and saying, I'm ready to do this. Yeah, thank you. And you're doing the same thing. So it's great. Yeah. We, we rock, basically. <laughs> yeah. women, women, women are, you know, like the, it's floating around, but women are the future. And I mean, I feel like we've been the past and the present. And now we're just like really showing up and saying no more because we're not going to take book for an answer. (laughs) And with this particular presidency and all that came with 2016, I think it lit a fire under so many of our butts. (laughs) Like, okay, this, this is happening. And now we need to do something about it because more women and people of color and young people are running for office this year than ever before. But with that, I think there is um, this still lack of understanding what that process looks like. And there's a fear behind, like, like you were saying, you know, am I good enough? Will I ever be good enough for this? Can I really start this right now? Could you share with us what that beginning process looks like or the process to actually become a serious contender for the position that you're in? Oh, yeah. It's, the beginning is messy. The beginning is mired in self-doubt. The beginning looks like and feels like you don't know what you're doing. It feels like you're not good enough. It feels like I felt all of those things. I 
especially because I, I am a non-career politician. I'm a, I'm a community servant that's running for office. And so because I haven't run for office before, you, you start on this crazy process that moves so fast and you have no idea what you're doing. And um, the beginning of the process really had a lot to do with me building my own self-confidence and my own self-concept and my own belief in myself because um, one of the first things you learn as a political candidate is that you have to learn how to tell your story. You have to learn how to tell your story in a way that resonates with your community. And I think that, well, the process of, of me telling my story was very difficult. Um, I, my background and like where I came from and how I was raised, like I, I was born in one bedroom apartment in the Bronx and when I was a teenager, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. I come from a working class family. I scrubbed toilets with my mom growing up to make ends meet. My mom was a bus driver. My dad had a small business. My like, I, I was the first in my mom's family to go to college. Um, but my dad died in the middle of school. And then after I graduated, this was like post-recession America. And there was so little opportunity. And I was like, waitressing and I was bartending and we we're about to lose our home and it was such like this there was so much pain and so much self-doubt you know when I first started launching this campaign I was still working in restaurants despite having worked for Ted Kennedy despite having had like a, a prestigious degree despite all of those things despite having you know, directed teams and working with um, national organizations. When I started this campaign, I was working in a restaurant and I had to contend with myself the question of why and how could a person who works in a restaurant think that they ever have the shot at running, at, at being a, a member of Congress? That's a very good question. Yeah. And I, my my belief in myself was like I can't do this. Like no one no one will believe in me um, because of the position that I have right now. And so the hardest part was that I had to tell that story. That was a really big tipping point when someone was like I got an email and I essentially had to type out my email and I had avoided answering this email as much as possible. I have like waited a really long time because I was anxious about like admitting to it. You know, I had, I guess I had imposter syndrome and, and, uh, and eventually it became like, I really, really had to send this email. If I didn't send this email, it would have been like a really big do or die moment. And, uh, and I just kind of like blurted my story out into as brief an email as possible. And like, I just said the truth. And I was like, listen, like, this is just who I am. And that was, it was so hard to do that. But eventually, like, it got to a tipping point where I was just like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna let it out on the page. And I did. And once I did that, I realized that I was my biggest block. I mean, people say that and it's a cliche, but I really was it's like, true. I, it's yeah. So and the person like who that. doubted, 
Yeah, when we're trying to show up in, in whatever we're doing, politics, start a business or go to school, we tend to block ourselves and within our own self-doubt more than even other people doubt us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, and once I kind of blurted it out, it was like, you know what? Like, it felt really good. Like, it felt like, okay, maybe I don't have so much to be scared of. And it still took time because that was with, that was just one email to one person. But eventually I had to start telling my story in order to organize people in my community to say, listen, this is why I'm running. I need to tell them who I am. And it was really hard. You know, it was rough at first. And it's with any idea, whether it's, why you're running for office or why you're starting a business or why you're writing a book. Um, the first couple passes are going to be rough. And I was very rough around the edges when I started this process. And, um, but eventually after telling it and telling it and telling it, I refined it and refined it. And I listened to people who told me their feedback and um, it just started growing. And I think the, the seed of like really, really good, powerful movements is definitely authenticity and a little bit of vulnerability. And when I trusted people and was vulnerable enough to say, listen, this is who I am, bruises and all, um, and this is why I'm running, people really resonated. And that, and that's when we really started gaining our momentum. And now it's like, now, like, there's no way, like, two years ago when I was working in restaurants, I would have thought that I would have been in, in the front section of the Wall Street Journal two years later. There's no way, like, <laughs> right? there's no way I would have thought that that would have been me at all. And I think that that kind of possibility is there for all of us. It really is. And so what it really comes down to is that belief in yourself that you can you can do this whatever it is that that you are looking to do that you can do it and it's like shifting through the uncomfortable because that's what you had to do through the process so in the beginning it was uncomfortable it was hard to tell your story it was hard to even believe that you were starting the process but it was about shifting through that and allowing for the discomfort that came with this new territory to not fully take over, but you just kind of had to ease your way and lean in until you became more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden people take, you know, they started listening to you. Right. And you were just human. And I think that kind of authentic connection is what we're really missing from our leaders today is like, I'm human, you're human. We're in this together um, versus the separate separatism that has almost been created like this veil of us and them and you're bringing that that Mm -hmm. back to to the campaign trail which is yeah definitely and I think it it also speaks a lot to differences in leadership too because like I don't I just I mean I just don't think it's a particularly like we don't know what feminine leadership really looks like I I don't I'm not convinced I don't think we have enough women in power to have an understanding of how women lead and what those differences are. And, um, but I do think that we, the traditional models of leadership, like when we say, Oh, what is a leader? What is a leader like? I think it is very based on, on a 
masculine leadership type of model. Oh, like they're super decisive and they're bold and, you know, things like that. And I, I, I do think that there are some underlying characteristics that are of leadership that are there no matter what. But I, I also think that women or even gender nonconforming people, the way they lead, it, it comes in a lot of different forms and there's a wide diversity in leadership styles. And I think that for a very long time, we've had this very like bravado driven form of leadership. Oh, to run for office, you need to like be this character in a way. And I, I think that that's a model that, that isn't normal for women and that women don't take to as commonly. And, um, and I think that, that this, that this like artifice of, of the leader that is perfect all the time and, um, basically is like a mini Superman is not the style that a lot of other people lead in. And so when they don't say, Oh, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not this kind of person. I'm not this really strong, decisive, blah, blah, blah kind of person. But for example, I like to come to um, decisions through collaboration and speaking with a lot of people and getting a lot of guidance and input before I make a decision. Um, that's not the, that's not the TV show style leadership that we see perpetuated in our media. And so a lot of people, I think, don't perceive themselves as leaders when they really are. Um, and so it, I think that, yeah, having, and that, and like kind of expanding what leadership means as well is something that, that I, that, I don't know. I think it's just a direction that we're moving in that ultimately is positive and will, will lead to a lot more diversity in, in who's making decisions. Yeah, and in, in inclusion. And so this is, this is the new paradigm, which we are right, seeing right. that's happening all over, which, which is really great and exciting. Well, for those of us that believe in progress, <laughs> it's great and exciting. Mm-hmm. For others, it's threatening and challenging and a little nerve-wracking probably because I think millennials um, are definitely changing the way that leadership shows up. And the way that we totally. want things to be done and kind of reclaiming the meaning in it all, which has been lost, uh, I feel like, maybe forever. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe hasn't been, been lost and regained, but I think it's just been lost. And so we're trying to find that sense of meaning in you being, you know, a young millennial who has seen, you know, when you said when you got out of college, same for me, I graduated in 2010. Um, there was not much of an economy to support us. And I think Mm -hmm. we came out completely disillusioned to what the status quo (laughs) was supposed to be and what we were supposed to gain from doing all the right things, from going to school, going, you know, going to college, graduating from college, and even then left with not much of anything. And so we had to start really thinking, well, what, what is the way that we want to live and what is the way that we want to lead? And I think business now businesses, bigger businesses are starting to see because we are one of the largest generations now kind of curve correcting everything that shapes around. So we get to reestablish what true leadership looks like and feels like 
from community all the way to big business, which is super exciting. I'm excited um, to be a part of that generation and you to be a part of it and and go from it um, at a political angle. So with that, I had a question that I was going to ask you a little bit later, but now that we're on this um, conversation about what leadership looks like in this new paradigm, what would you consider or who would you consider is a modern visionary, since that's the whole theme of this show. Um, what does a modern visionary mean to you? And what are some of those traits or attributes that you would consider a modern visionary having? Mm. Yeah, that's a, it's a really, really good question. I'll start with, I guess I'll start with the traits. Um, I think that in this time of, of real turbulence and also contention. Uh, one of the biggest aspects of, of leadership is having a very clear vision. And I, like, I, I know called a modern visionary, but I think it's really important to dig into what that means because people really respond, whether they, even if they agree with you or not, they really respond to leaders with a very clear vision of where they're trying to go and what they're trying to accomplish. So, for example, in the political sphere, um, we've got, we have very clear uh, policy goals, things like Medicare for all and tuition-free public college. People would have never talked about this en masse to the degree that they're talking about it now like five years ago, six years ago, these issues weren't even on the radar. They weren't even considered possible. And now it's, it's a litmus test for a lot of progressive candidates. You believe in these really big, audacious, but also very specific goals. I also think that there's a very large degree of bravery that's required. Um, when you see people that quote unquote, like shouldn't be running, I know that there, that there are um, like Muslim candidates, like I, I think on the political sphere, um, Abdul El Sayed is a fantastic candidate. He's he's running for governor of Michigan, and he's a Muslim man that's running in the in the Democratic primary. He's a phenomenal public servant. His background in working in healthcare and organizing communities is truly astounding. But he moves with a lot of courage because a lot of people say a Muslim man could never win statewide office in Michigan. And if you kind of went through, um, if you listen to all of those debtors, of course, he would never have run. Um, and so I think there are lots of people like that in our political sphere that are doing that kind of work that I think is pretty amazing, but also the activists, you know, the, the women who launched the Black Lives Matter movement in this country are, I mean, it's like the Black Lives Matter movement is more wide, widely accepted now, but when they first started, they were pariahs in in our national discourse, they were seen as like, like anti-American in a way. And for these women to charge on and 
freaking bring their own folding chair to the conversation and literally crash the party and say, we are not going to let you keep talking until you start talking about us, until you start addressing our needs as a community. We are not going to let business go on as usual. That takes an enormous amount of courage. And um, yeah, I mean, I think people, folks like that, folks that that run for office, even though they don't have the blessing of their local establishment, people, activists who are out there who aren't afraid to encounter um, public rebuke, um, I think are are phenomenal heroes in our time. Yeah, I I mean it's it could be scary <laughs> um, to to go up against the establishment to some degree to go up against the norm and and really show up in a way that is is challenging them to do better. And so, like you said, with Black Lives Matter, with the Women's March, with now, you know, gun reform and what's going on or what has happened in Parkland and the March for Our Lives, that's extremely controversial right now. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's challenging, but young millennials, once again, it's, it's millennials that are... <laughs> pushing the boundary of change um, are saying no more. We will not continue down this Mm -hmm. path and we're willing to put ourselves out there. And I think there is a lot of fear around for some, for some, not just young people, but people in general to say, can I do this? Because there is going to be some, some backlash and some Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. So that clear vision and the bravery to say, I'm here, I'm going to do this, and we're not going to back down until it gets done um, is definitely positive traits and, and a great version of, of what a modern visionary is all about. So thank you for that. But with, with that um, sentiment of bravery and courage and the challenges that come with speaking up and speaking out and challenging the status quo, what has been one of the biggest challenges that you have faced running for office? Um, I think, I think that there's probably, hmm, I mean, it's a, it's a really good question. There are a lot of challenges in running for, for office. I do think that what I've tried to do is I don't try to like bark up the wrong tree and there are a lot of paths that I could have taken that would have been really, really, really uphill. A lot of people do try to get the blessing of established power. I mean, sometimes you have to, depending on your situation. They, they are gatekeepers to things like even money. And like if you're working for a company that um, that is it's like very, very established or long going and has the usual suspects and leadership and things like that, um, it's it's sometimes it, it's hard to navigate those systems. Um, I, in my particular case, so I'm running in the Bronx and Queens. Queens has like a very, very, very entrenched political establishment with Tammany Hall style politics. It's very family based. It's what it's like. Who owes who a favor? It's very horse trading. It's very like who's going to take the dark money type of thing, um, and so maybe the initial challenge was to get taken seriously, but I also, I'm not a believer 
in in like going for the super vertical uphill. You know, everything you do is going to be a challenge, but you need to triple down on your strengths. You need to triple down on your assets. You need to spend time with people who believe in you and invest in that. And maybe the hardest challenge has been um, organizing myself and organizing the campaign and organizing all of those people. Um, but I try not to spend too much time on the blocks unless it's a constructive block. If I'm trying to win over a group of people in a community that is actually in our pocket and on our side, 100%, I'll be doing that. But um, but if I'm like, I'm not going to spend too much time trying to win over people who are already so far gone the other side. Um, and so I think that that's probably one thing, just the the logistical challenges of running a campaign um, is probably very, is, is, is a high hill, but, um, but it's really like the challenges that make you better. So if it's maybe that's probably something that, that I am, um, I live by where it's like, is this making me better? Is this challenge like this thing? Okay. Whatever is in front of me may be extremely challenging, but is moving through this process improving me or is this just kind of sucking up my energy and not benefiting me at all? And um, maybe it sounds a little selfish, but I think even, even in selfless acts, you need to make sure that it's constructive and positive. Um, yeah, so yeah it's selfish selfish what, what it is for me. I feel like that's how yeah. I run and that's how I teach <laughs> um, is this level of, it's really a level of like self-awareness and understanding that mm-hmm. not everything that's a challenge has to be a negative because there's so much growth mm-hmm. that comes from it. So if you're able to grow and it takes you to that next step that you couldn't have accomplished probably without that understanding, then it actually turns into a positive. And I think that's a great mindset to have. And it's just one of perspective. So really changing the perspective. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so with, with that thought in mind, because of your mentality of being able to really focus on what needs to be changed or focus on the next direction and not really the challenges or the setbacks, I know that some days are probably still exhausting, right? And like you can be mentally, emotionally, and physically drained on those days that are maybe off days, unless you don't have any, <laughs> how do you, Oh, I have them. <laughs> you're like, no, those happen, right? How do you keep it together? Like how do you stay motivated and inspired and ready to con- charge forward in a new day? Well, I do think that sometimes the universe conspires in my favor because there are a lot of times where thankfully, um, and maybe it's just through a function of paying attention, but I do feel like sometimes on my hardest days when I'm just, when I just like doubt this whole shebang, I'm like, why am I even doing this? Um, which I think are days that everybody has. And I think it's important to be just honest about that um, and kind of continue on that vein of, of ending this like impenetrable, mysterious leadership type of thing. It's like, no, like there, there are days where it, it's 
scary. You know, my, my privacy is threatened. My personal safety is always like being like, I'm always being told I need to be careful about my personal safety, like crazy things like that. Um, and so there are days where I'm definitely just worn down, but I do think that sometimes at my worst moments, um, something like things just happen. I get a really nice note. Someone sends me a very nice message. Um, someone tells me that I'm inspiring them. And so sometimes that kind of external support from the community really does keep me going. Because at this point, this race, I mean, at this point, really almost at every, at every point, this race is not about me. This race is about a movement. And I don't even have the keys to it anymore. Like, I'm just the candidate. But it's the movement that is making this campaign successful, that is advancing these policies and this agenda to the national stage. And feeling like, in fact, it's not all on me, but that this is part of something bigger usually helps me get things back into focus. Um, there are some days where you just kind of got to forgive yourself and say, you know what, I'm tapped out. And you have to kind of back off yourself, back off being your own worst critic. And you just need to say, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to reset and you'll be much more productive for having done that and taking that time. Um, and then just gratitude, you know, I'm so thankful for where I am right now. It was like, it's literally, it feels, I mean, it feels just like a dream and it's still really hard and it's by no means easy. And, um, but I'm, I feel purpose and, uh, that's an accomplishment to feel like what you're doing is meaningful and purposeful is a huge, huge accomplishment that often takes like more than a decade to get to in your life. And um, I kind of wish that when I was younger, I had a little more patience with myself um, because I think that that's just something that our generation, there's not anything that our generation lacks sometimes. It's a little bit of that patience, but, um, but yeah, having the gratitude of just being here um, makes and kind of eases the load of those worries and concerns. I love that. And such an important reminder that gratitude goes a long way and patience definitely goes a long way because we do, or we've been kind of, you know, grow, or we grew up in a very, well, I feel like, I feel like the older millennials grew up in kind of both worlds from when it wasn't that technology driven to uber technology driven. And we've kind of, yeah. Learned. And so we get the best of both worlds. <laughs> I still remember there being payphones in locations. Um, yeah, like totally. That's a thing that, that did happen. Uh, but now because of social media and technology and allowing and getting everything so quickly, we have a tendency to be really impatient for just about everything. And so it, it then bleeds off into other aspects of our lives. So remembering that it's all part of the journey. And I think that's what you've expressed so great, you know, throughout this interview is really embracing the journey of, of where you are and where you're trying to go. Um, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, of course. You, you spit mad fire on Twitter. <laughs> 
<laughs> I do. You just show up um, bold and brazen and no holds barred. Like you just say what's on your mind. And I remember, I think I remember maybe following you on like an Instagram story. You were saying that there was a tweet that caught on fire or some, some aspect of Twitter. Um, you showing up on Twitter that really put you on the map and people began to take notice. Yeah. You remember like a particular tweet that like made it all come together? Oh, yeah. What was it? Oh, yeah. Um, so I think that, so I started learning earlier on um, that it's kind of like what I said earlier, doubling down on your strengths. Um, I've always been a writer. That's just always been something that I've done. It's always been a gift of mine. Um, and like, that's just always kind of been my wheelhouse. Even from the time I was in middle school, I was told, oh, you know, you're a really good writer. And so I never really took the time to really believe that about myself. Like I never, I didn't, I didn't major in English or anything like that, but I just always enjoyed and loved reading and writing. Um, and I started realizing I, I wasn't really on Twitter before the campaign. I had an account back from college, but I, I never really actively used it. And I started using it for the campaign and I started realizing that, you know, everyone has their thing. Like maybe you have um, a great photographic eye and Instagram's a, ph a phenomenal outlet for you. Um, I was just starting to find that it started bit by bit. Like I started having these tweets. I've always had like really high engagement on Twitter. So when I first started this campaign, I had 250 Twitter followers last June. We just hit 13,000 today. Yeah. And um, that's great. Which is just like, it has just blown up. That's, that's like seven or eight months. It has blown up. Um, and so at first I started noticing that I just had higher engagement, even if it was just like, you know, 10 people or, or 20 people for, for the following that I had, those numbers were proportionately pretty large. So I kept using Twitter. And then first it started with, um, with like some tweets that would get like 200 retweets, which to me was like huge at that time. It still is a large amount. And, um, and then there was this one tweet that I, I sent out. I had literally still done because I was, I still worked through the majority of this campaign. So I was coming home from work. I had come home from the subway. Um, I may or may not have partaken in a, in a happy hour beverage. <laughs> so <laughs> I was, I was coming, I was walking home from the subway, not too crazy or anything, but I was walking home from the subway and there are some issues where I'm just like, I'm just done. Like I'm just done with, with BS on certain issues. And one of those issues is campaign finance reform. And it sounds kind of like a heady issue, but it's like these, there are so many politicians that are acting as though their views are their views when in truth they're getting paid by corporations to have certain votes and to have certain stances. And so I go on Twitter and Ted Cruz is talking about how like repealing net neutrality is a good thing. And I'm just like, no, I was just like, no. And so, and he had like lied, like Ted Cruz had tweeted out uh, something that was like totally untrue about net neutrality. 
And, uh, and so I went up and I literally pulled up the FEC, like I pulled up the receipts and I was like, I'm going to see how much money Comcast has paid Ted Cruz. And lo and behold, Com- Comcast had given Ted Cruz like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and so it's no surprise that Ted Cruz is, is advocating dishonestly for policies that make Comcast more money. And so I fired off this tweet. I was so upset, <laughs> but I fired off. I mean, maybe not super upset, but I, I get, I get saucy. Like I, I get a little sassy. And so I remember um, that tweet though. I think that's actually the tweet that I first saw of yours. And I started following you from that yeah. exact tweet. I didn't, I didn't, I was trying so, to figure out where I found you or how I came across you, but it was that tweet. Cause I remember you saying something about it and I was like, Oh, she went in. <laughs> yeah. That was the tweet that was the tweet and you know what we all have that moment it could be that you're walking down the street it could be that you meet someone that has a connection that you really jive with that changes your life like whatever it is but we all have that one moment that was my moment and so I had pulled the receipts I looked it up I wrote it very concisely and I fired it off and when you have a tweet that goes viral on Twitter it's like, it's wild because you don't have like a huge following. Um, at the time I had a decent following, but like it, it wasn't huge. And so I tweeted it off and within one minute it had like, it was like 10 retweets, like the, not even like the moment I fired it off, it was like a gunshot and it was like five, 10, 20, 50, 100 within like five minutes. And I was like, whoa. And that tweet ended up, I don't even know what the ultimate reach was, but it was like 40,000 retweets. That one tweet alone had like several million impressions. It got circulated on on Facebook and Instagram. It, it was on the front page of Reddit. It was like, insane and overnight I had picked up like thousands of followers um and so that was probably like a game-changing Twitter moment for me and it's happened a couple times since then but not on that scale that has been like the biggest one and so I'm I'm gonna I don't want to speak for you but I'm assuming this is probably something that you're thinking when it comes to just really showing up and sharing your thoughts your frustrations your passion your whatever Whatever you're thinking is valid, especially as it pertains to your mission. And you didn't know that, you know, that this was going to literally go viral, but it was concerning to you and you wanted to call out. And there's also like, there's also kind of a feeling because at this point, even though I may not have gone viral on that scale since then, I have had like several tweets that get to like, several thousand retweets and things like that um, and just really kind of make a splash. And it's like in, in some ways, um, sometimes there's always a little feeling and it just like always feels a little uncomfortable um, to send. Like I always doubt before I hit the tweet button mm-hmm. um, whether or not I'm going to send it. And then, I send it off and like it, it does well. And it, so it's always a little uncomfortable because it's always like 
there's some aspect to it that is pushing you in a way that you haven't been pushed before. And it's uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> and you know, and you're yeah, it's a little, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like for me, it was like, for me in that moment, I'm not used to, I wasn't like as used to or comfortable with just calling it out as it is. But that moment really helped me find my voice and be like, you know what? This is fine. Like it's not name calling. It's not mean. It's not malicious, but we need to call a spade a spade. And people really appreciate that in, in this moment and in this time. And with social media, we have this ability to be extremely authentic. We can curate Mm -hmm obviously like, you know, bigger businesses and, and probably some politicians and entrepreneurs tend to curate all of their content. But when you are a real human candidate of any sort that's trying to truly connect to your audience, then that's what we want from you. We want you to be 100% Mm -hmm. you real. And what you did with the tech cruise thing was just like you actually researched and made sure that you weren't just calling out to call out, but that there was validity in what you were sharing and what you were stating. And there was a, a teaching moment because it's like, these views aren't his own <laughs> because he's getting yeah. X amount of dollars from, you know, from Comcast. So they're not like him expressing himself. That's just a part of, you know, a part of the payment that he received. Right. Definitely. And it's like, it, it doesn't mean like, Oh, you know, if you want to pop off, pop off. But it's like, do your homework make sure you're right, you still feel the same way, then say it, then just say it. And that's, and I think that's great. That brings up another really great point about doing or taking a little moment to actually do some research <laughs> because we can be really yeah. opinionated and then we could pop off quickly. And even if the feeling is, you know, the sentiment is correct for you, it may actually steer you down the wrong path. Because if it's wrong, then people will call you, especially on Twitter. People will, <laughs> people will come for you and they will call you out. Totally. So making sure that you're bold and brazen enough to share your views, but also uh, smart enough and that you did some research to, to make sure that it is valid and it's a valid uh, calling out, not attack. I don't want to say attack, but a valid calling out <laughs> process. So with with that thought in mind, especially around social media and being a millennial, being young, utilizing social media as a way to really share your voice, how has how's it shaped your campaign? Like with that one tweet going viral, would you say that social media has really given you a major leg up um, in this in this campaign? Yeah. Social media and the internet in general has been a game changer for this campaign and I think for politics overall. It wasn't just like, oh, I went viral that one time. This It would have changed our campaign even if that thing had never even happened um, because so much of the old guard is about things that have very difficult um, barriers, very high barriers to gain access to. So without the internet, my only way of really communicating to lots of people would have been to buy a television ad or get a really big ad in a newspaper over and over again. Um, but with social media, it allows me to connect and reach people without having that walled garden and without having those gatekeepers and, and doing that. Now, we may get to an age where the internet is no longer that place, especially now that net neutrality has been repealed. And also like now that 
you know, a lot of these larger platforms are starting to switch their algorithms and things like that. But right now, at the very least, like we're still kind of in that period where you can reach and access so many people without having to pay tons and tons of money to do so. And, um, and so I think that that's, it has, like, it's been a huge leveling agent in our campaign. And it allows people to think that a candidate, it not only allows, but it also enables our campaign to think that we can challenge a campaign that has like $3 million in the bank, because we do have reach of mobilization in other ways. Yeah, which which is amazing. We live in a time like no other where it has really leveled out the playing field. And so word to the wise, we need to use our internet <laughs> before things really change um, and totally. go up and, and share and connect. I think, I mean, that's probably the one of the most amazing things about all these apps and platforms and the internet in general is this ability to connect not only to people, you know, in your local vicinity, but nationwide, worldwide, where you can really have a global impact. So, you know, whether you you win the seat or not, you've already changed the course of history by showing up and sharing mm-hmm. in and on a global scale. I'm sure there are people that know you all over the world. <laughs> and and that <laughs> is, is really unique and awesome and, and amazing in so many ways. Um, so with, with this thought, what is, is the advice that you would give to the next generation of politicians? Maybe those who even are thinking about or running this year and, and beyond. What do we all need to know right now to really progress this country and our movements forward? Yeah, I think a big part of it is just like have courage have political courage, have the courage to do things that you think put you at a disadvantage because they align with your, or rather have the courage to do things that put you at a disadvantage or may put you at a disadvantage if they align with your values. Because people really respect that. If I ran in this race the same way that everybody else ran, if I ran, if I took corporate money, if I if I party with lobbyists and let them funnel funds into my campaign, if I wasn't as progressive or strong on the issues as I like to be, um, if I compromised in, in those ways, in those authentic ways, I don't think we would be as successful as, as I would be now. I don't think this campaign would be as successful as we would be now. If we, if we, had done the things that all the experts say that we should do in order to win. If we did those things, we would be in worse shape than we are now. Um, and, and we wouldn't be as strong as we are now. And so I think it's a lot of it is just like, be authentic. Don't worry on asking for approval. Don't worry on the gatekeeping. Just put your shoe to pavement, go out there, meet people. And you don't need a, a fully fleshed out plan from the very beginning. Just get yourself out there. Go to your first event. You know, speak it into the world. Speak it into existence. I'm running for office or I'm thinking about running for office. And people will open the doors for you. Um, you don't have to have all the answers before you start. I certainly didn't. The answers kind of unfold and, and come to you. Um, and have faith in yourself. 
have have the confidence to at least take one step. You don't have the com- you don't need to have the confidence to say I'm going to do this whole thing. If you do, great, amazing. But if you don't, don't let that prevent you from moving forward. Just just say I'm good enough to do this one more thing. Just this one thing. And then the next thing. And then the next thing. And uh keep it keep it as as and keep it in perspective. Keep it as much in perspective as you can and know that um, if you're interested in going into politics, that means that you are interested in service. It means that you're interested in letting go of your ego. It means you're interested in putting yourself aside. That It's not about you as the candidate. You need to ask yourself, what movement are you a part of? Um, and if you're not part of a movement, you need to join one. And you need to like give yourself to a movement because if you're running for yourself, then you're part of the problem to be frank about it. Um, and oftentimes the people who are best suited to serve are the people who don't want to serve. And uh, if you feel like, or if people keep telling you that you should be running for office and you keep swatting it aside, maybe it's time to stop swatting it aside because the folks who, you know, coronate themselves <laughs> Oftentimes, they're not the people who should be uh, who should be at the helm. Well, I guess I'm running for off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's my time too. <laughs> oh my goodness! No, that that is perfect because it's true. If you're if you're running for yourself, which is what we see is a huge problem in a lot of areas that we are looking to create change. It's this this ego-driven, look at me, look what I'm going to do approach versus for the people, which is what the democracy is supposed to be about, for the people, by the people. And so more people really do need to be involved. And so I hope if you are, if you're listening to this show right now and you've been thinking about running for office, you know, start going to the city council meetings, you know, do something towards that step that will help you better understand or be, you know, in, in that arena because you can create change um, just by taking that one step and moving that one step. So thank you so much for your insight and your story. Um, and just thank you for being here, Alex. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. No problem. And of course, the, the standard plug, if anyone wants to find out more about the campaign, it's Ocasio 2018, O-C-A-S-I-O 2018. Um, we need money. So <laughs> donate five, ten dollars to our campaign. Um, we've organized over 5,000 donors. It's been really, um, really, really powerful. So if this has resonated with you, maybe send over a small donation or a modest donation um, it's the Bernie 27 model, you know, 27 bucks and no lobbyist money. And we're funded by everyday Americans who just like us. And so, um, you know, if anyone can do that, please do that. If in, if you're in New York, join us, volunteer with us, because this is the only way that we get it done. Yes. And I will make sure to have your links and everything on the show notes so that people can directly reach out and and donate and be a part of your movement. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the A Modern Visionary podcast. For today's show notes, head to amodernvisionary.com and be sure to chat and connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, rate us on iTunes and leave some love in the comments. Visionary, remember, we are the ones we've been waiting for. So show up, lead with integrity, and give a damn. I'm Tiffany Lanier, and until next time, I'm out.